Dear listeners, and welcome at this 11th episode of the Meet the Expert podcast series. And in this series, together with well-known experts from around the globe, we explore challenges and opportunities in the big veterinary world. And in this episode, we are very happy to welcome Professor Hans Nauwink, attached to Ghent University in Belgium. Um, whilst we have on the menu today reproductive failure and the role of viruses in that. So welcome, Professor Nauwink. Hi. <laughs> the Meet the Expert podcast series is a co-production of Beringer Ingelheim Animal Health and Pig Progress. And my name is Vincent Terbeek. I'm editor for Pig Progress and I'm the host of today's episode. And present at this podcast is also audiovisual editor Iris Hoffman. And you will hear more of her during this uh, recording. Professor Hans Nauwink is attached to the Faculty of Veterinary Medicine at Ghent University in Belgium, uh, where he also got his DVM. Uh, having become full professor in 2004, he took the lead of the university's Laboratory of Virology. And viral diseases are at the core of his attention and how they enter a host. We are happy to have him with us today to talk about reproductive failure in pigs. And it will not be a surprise, therefore, that predominantly the viral component of reproductive failure will be considered. And before we go into deep, Professor Nowink, um, you are worldwide known as an expert on big viruses. What for you makes viruses the most intriguing thing in the world that you'd like to work on them day in, day out? Well, I have to correct a little bit your, your statement on uh, pigs. I'm also interested in uh, some other species. Uh, this is a problem. Uh, I have problems with bee selective. Mm -hmm. So I'm also working even on, on shrimp and, and bees nowadays. But let's say uh, uh, pigs are still my favorite. And the reason for that is that my, uh, pre my previous um, boss, Professor Penzart, uh, known all over the world, was, of course, a, a pig lover. And uh, I got, uh, let's say, this this uh, uh, porcine viruses with a spoon uh, when I was very young. So uh, uh, and I continued because I'm I'm very interested in um, the pathogenesis of very difficult viral diseases. And um, there in pigs there are a lot of uh, complex uh, pathogenesis. If you think on the, in the past, pseudorabies virus or just disease virus. Uh, then PERS came along, and then we had uh, a PCV2. So uh, all those viruses are uh, of interest to me because they're complex and uh, very important. And we, we will talk about that today, uh, is that they're not sitting down doing nothing, but they're evolving. And this is for me always a uh, big fun um, as a scientist to follow viruses and to understand why they're just evolving. And a very important part there is the law of the fittest, of course, and to understand uh, the law of the fittest. And uh, I think we will come back to that during uh, uh, the discussion today. Absolutely. So that's, uh, I think, a key difference with bacteria, I think, where there is oh, less mutation going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, viruses are, uh, you know, are very uh, skilled in, uh, uh, in evolving. And uh, there you have a difference between your, let's say, the DNA viruses uh, and in the DNA viruses, uh, you have a difference, small DNA virus and large DNA viruses. And uh, let's say the large DNA virus are very stable. Uh, I can give you an example. Uh, for instance, a uh, pseudorabies virus, uh, or just disease virus. Uh, I think every 10 to 15 years, you had a little move uh, that we saw in the pathogenesis. 
Um, if you compare that then with, for instance, uh, a Parvo or a PCV2, they are small DNA viruses. Uh, they are just evolving faster. Uh, and the, the impact is also bigger because a small change uh, in the capsid can have huge uh, uh, consequences. And then we have, have RNA viruses, and the RNA viruses are extremely flexible. Uh, if you think on PERS or, or influenza, they just nightmares. Uh, uh, let's say, uh, let's say every every replication cycle is already sufficient to have one mutant. Uh, luckily, most of those those mutants are handicapped, and uh, they will do nothing at all in uh, in uh, in the pig. So uh, we're lucky with that because uh, you know if they would all be very aggressive viruses, then I think we would not run around in, anymore on this this globe. No. Yes, would be ruled by viruses. Today we're going to talk about uh, reproductive failure, as said. Um, maybe it's good to define this a little bit so the audience has a clear mm -hmm. idea what we're talking about. Um, would, would reproductive failure be anything that can go wrong during gestation, from early-born piglets to abortion of an entire litter, for instance? Yes, yes, yes. So this is in, indeed very broad. So it starts with uh, the embryo. Mm -hmm. You can have, for instance, if the embryo dies or uh, is not in, in, uh, does not implant, then you can have resorption of the, the embryo. That's a very early stage. And then you get infertility. That's also linked to it. Uh, and if the, the if there's a the, the formation of bones, then you get uh, no resorption anymore. The, 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 the fetus is too big to be resorbed. Mm -hmm. And then you get, of course, mummification. Uh, if you get more problems at the end of gestation, then uh, we're talking about uh, you know stillbirth mm -hmm. at parturition. Um, and then also weak-born piglets. At birth can also be uh, due to the fact that, that there's something going wrong during gestation. So it's a very broad, uh, you know, term that they use uh, reproductive failure. So uh, you're right; it's very broad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't only include um, well, dead piglets, so to say, uh, when no, they were no. born but were weaker than they should have been. That could also be. Uh... That's also, uh, in, you know, or some um, malformations uh, also uh, enclosed. So it, it's it's a very broad term that they use in uh, in in uh, science. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's good to have established. So if we look at uh, viruses causing reproductive failure, uh, which ones uh, jump to mind then? Well, if you uh, look to reproductive failure, I, I always uh, put them in, uh, uh, let's say, in boxes. Mm -hmm. Uh, the first box is uh, uh, the SMEDI viruses. Mm -hmm. uh, there we have enteroviruses, parvovirus, and PCV2. Mm -hmm. uh, they, are, they can cause, uh, and SMEDI stands for stillbirth, mummification, embryonic death, and infertility. So those viruses can be related with, with, with that problem. Uh, and there, of course, uh, if you look to the importance of the, the three, um, let's say enteroviruses are not that, that important uh, because they don't give a lot of problems in the, in the field. PCV2 is a minor. Uh, and then, of course, Parvo, in the past, not very important, but more recently, uh, uh, it got more and more into the picture, and we will talk about that later on. So uh, this is uh, the, the SMEDI viruses. Mm -hmm. Then we have also uh, viruses that are uh, more related with um, uh, abortion, real abortion. Uh, for instance, pseudorabies virus or Jessica disease virus was really, uh, you know, linked with abortion at all stages. Mm -hmm. Luckily, this virus is gone. Um, and then we have uh, late abortion, early farrowing. This is uh, fully related with PERS, mm -hmm. uh, as everybody knows. So this is, of course, important. And these are direct effects of the viruses. Indirect effects are also existing. Uh, and it can be whatever thing is causing fever in a, in a cell. 
and this is a, a very damaging. So if you have when, whenever you have fever in a sow, you can get abortion, uh, and uh, this is a, a very important point. So if if uh, as a veterinarian you have to look to the litter, uh, and you have to make a decision. So if if the litter consists of uh, piglets or fetuses that are in in a rigor mortis when they got get out during abortion, then you should know that this is not due to pathology in the uterus, but most probably due to the fever in the sow. And then you have to examine not the, the litter, uh, but then you have to examine the sow and take samples from the sow. So it, uh, I have, uh, you know, I give also courses to students and I give always uh, important messages to them. I put them in categories. Do we talk about SMEDI? Mm -hmm. uh, SMEDI, that means... Early infestation, uh, basically. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, early infestation or at parturition, yeah. but not, not abortion. That's the, the, These are the SMEDI viruses. Then you have the real abortion viruses, PERS, uh, um, uh, rabies virus, one that was an example in the past, but it's gone now. And this is now the real abortions are normally at this moment mainly uh, caused by uh, high fever in, in the south. Mm -hmm. And then we have problems at the end, eh? and there we have PERS. So uh, you, you really have to put the things in in, in, in boxes, and then you, you, as a veterinarian, it's easy to uh, go for diagnostics and also for uh, control of the disease. Let us take a look at three of those, uh, parvovirus, PERS, and PCV2. Um, those are amongst the, the most important things uh, of these, I think. Um, just like humans, when there are no cold is the same, I think the same goes for the reproductive failure in pigs. Um, what would producers observe when they get a parvovirus, uh, when that enters the sow house? What would they see that is happening? Yeah, yeah. So I think you should combine uh, parvo and PCV2 mm -hmm. because they are SMEDI related. Yeah. So there you will see uh, mainly uh, the problems at the moment of parturition. And then, then you will see uh, mummification, stillbirth, sometimes also weak-born piglets. So that is what you see. Mm -hmm. Uh, with with uh, PERS, of course, this is totally different. This is a late abortion, early farrowing, and you have a lot of, uh, I, I call it starting mummification. So kind of the brown, they call uh, the farmer will call it the brown fetuses because it's, uh, uh, you know, that the infection starts rather late after 70 days of gestation with, with PERS. So the, the, the virus doesn't have a lot of time to, uh, you know, to get to bring the, the fetus into mummification. So they're just more brown, not the, the black ones that we see with PCV2 and with parvo. So there's a big difference. And uh, important to mention here also is that with PCV2, uh, the main target in uh, fetuses is the heart. So you get a, a myocarditis, which is uh, which you can see and which you can also examine. So this is a very important difference between the, the PCV2 and the parvo. I see, I see. Um, okay, so we've, we've, we've touched on well how you could recognize between the three. Um, could you explain if there has been a development in any of the clinical sciences? We said that viruses develop over the years. Um, it could be that, well, Parvo behaved differently in the past than it does today. Is that the case? So let, let's say if you if you look to the three, uh, for instance, PERS is, is, is a, a crazy virus. Uh, getting totally bananas uh, in uh, in evolution. So it started in the, the 80s, 90s, eh? we know that. Uh, the main the main uh, change for the virus at that moment was heading for silazine as a receptor, and that caused a lot of uh, replication in the lungs and in the, 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 the placenta. And this explains the, the name, uh, porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome virus. Mm -hmm. So this is 
this was was happened, but that this, this was not the last population of macrophages that were targeted. And we have seen of PERS that more recently that also nasal macrophages come into picture. And even more recently, if you look to the, the highly virulent strains in, in, in Italy and also in Spain nowadays, this is even going further. And uh, this is even going in the direction of macrophages that are surrounding the veins, the blood vessels, and they are now causing also some uh, problems at, at that level. So this virus is, uh, you know, continuously uh, expanding uh, the number of subpopulations of macrophages, so it becomes more and more aggressive. And, uh, you know, the, the main thing is, as soon as the, the virus got in the, the, the cells in positive macrophages of the placenta, that was the goal for the virus to get into uh, the placenta, and later on also in the fetus. But the problems that we have with PERS is due to the fact that the virus is replicating in the macrophages of the placenta. Mm -hmm. it's, it's causing an... an uh, and a malfunction of the placenta, and that is the reason why the fetus dies. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find the virus back also in the fetus, but this is not causing the death of the animal. So the death of the animal is really caused by the, the placenta uh, involvement of, 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 of PRSV. So even when the, the, the virus is now getting other subpopulations, as long as they target the salads in positive macrophages in, in the placenta, they will cause the same problems. And that is what we have seen. Uh, we worked with a lot of different types uh, so this is not changing uh, in time anymore. No, no, no. If you look to, to, so for powerful and PCV2, let's say PCV2, this, this is also evolving, uh, but there's not a lot of, let's say, changes of, uh, so the targets are lymphoblasts in general in the, uh, in the animal, uh, and then also, of course, uh, fetal uh, tissues, but the, the, the replication in the lymphoblasts, uh, that is, yeah, this is this is a little bit changing, but there are always uh, strains that are just going exploding in the lymph lymphoblast, and that is an important one because that is the source of the the virus that then goes to the uh, to the uterus. Mm -hmm. And then Parvo, Parvo was I would say dead for quite some time uh, when people were vaccinating, there were no problems. But recently, the last years, and uh, this is not in my lab because I was totally not interested uh, in the past in Parvo. Because if there are no issues, then uh, my brain is not starting to work. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was not very interested. But at a certain moment, in uh, especially in our uh, the regional labs in in Belgium, uh, at different points they started to uh, you know record more and more cases of parvo, and that's how all the things started, and that's why we got interested. Um, also, I have to be honest uh, by the fact that, for instance, bi. Uh, came up with a new vaccine. They wanted to have better a better idea on uh, you know what's going on in the field, and that's why they also stimulated uh, a lot of uh, the environment to go for uh, you know better analysis of the viruses, not only at the level of uh, positive negative, eh, but also at level of uh, sequencing. Uh, you know uh, what is the, the the genotype that is causing the disease, and you know that we have here an, a, a spin-off from our lab, uh, Patosense, with uh, Sebastian Tunz as CEO. Uh, they are just not only identifying the virus, but it's it's a system that is uh, based on third-generation sequencing. So not only detect detecting the virus, but directly also sequence it and uh, identify it where it fits in the, in the whole ladder, because it's a, a, at this moment already a big ladder uh, of genotypes. And uh, that is, of course, also important that we can put it somewhere uh, and we just so it is a little bit. It's not a black and white situation. So it's a, a kind of shades shades of gray 
so we had we have seen that there were, were a little bit more problems on farms that caused the kind of an alarm uh, with the vets and also the the farmers to do more uh, analysis and uh, the the parvo came out uh, which was quite a surprise mm -hmm. and uh, so there have been for for parvo also uh, in in time a kind of a, a little change uh, it looks like a better a better fit towards uh, you know reprodu reproductive failure i see i see so yeah. ma major change you see in the in the parvo uh, field i would not yeah i would not call it major no. it's, it's just there if you look to the you know the Based on the genetics, you can go to the the capsid, and especially the the, the areas that are uh, uh, predicted to be important for the binding to uh, uh, to the the target cell. There are some you know big changes at the level of amino acids that could change a little bit the the the, the region where the virus, the ligand, they call it the region of the virus that binds to the receptor. There are some things that are changing. It's not a black and white. It's it's a little bit better adaptation too but uh sufficient uh to cause some some changes and that is what they have seen in the field um just uh, just to, to touch on these three uh, viruses that we talked about um can we just very briefly for also those who are listening um well what to do if you suspect that there is parvovirus uh, present mm -hmm. uh, in the sows and um, where to where to do the right diagnostics and yes, could yes, you do yes. that for pcv2 and pers as well yeah, yeah, okay. So uh, if you talk about uh, uh, parvo, then you, you, you know, parvo is extremely resistant. Uh, but if you do, you know, if you do the diagnosis on a genetic basis, so PCR or hepatosense, then you just take some tissues from the, the, the fetus. We uh, normally take the, the spleen uh, because there are, there are for sure a lot of blast, blast cells in that uh, or, or thymus or, you know, whatever, because the, the, the animal is full of virus. Mm -hmm. So if you take the, 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 those tissues and then you do a, a PCR or a, a pathosense, you will find the virus without a problem. Mm -hmm. Even uh, if you, I'm still an old virologist, so I'm uh, always happy also to have some isolates. So I'm also one that uh, is still trying to isolate the virus, even from those mummies, you can still uh, isolate the virus. So the virus is extremely resistant in the fetus. If you go then to, uh, so this is parvo, if you go to PCV2, uh, PCV2 has a, a very, strong tropism for the heart. So uh, the only thing you have to do is take the heart, analyze it with whatever technology, PCR, pathosense, it could be also that you, you want to do even immunofluorescence or even a virus isolation that's easy, that you can do that easily from the heart. So that's the, 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 the target that you have to collect. And then we, um, for PERS, that's a more difficult one. As I told you, this starts always uh, with a placenta, mm -hmm. Uh, replication, of course, the placenta is extremely big, and it's not that the whole placenta is infected. So we have to, you know, that's all always a problem. You cannot collect, you cannot select the kind of a part of the the placenta because it's not visible. So if you you would only collect uh, placenta, then uh, you know there's a high high risk that you 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 get a negative result there, uh, uh, and that has been tested in uh, in the regional lab in the past. The umbilical cord is interesting. Together with the thymus and uh, uh, of of the, the the fetus, could be very interesting uh, material to collect and just go then to uh, diagnostics by PCR or pathosense. It's always for pers very interesting not to take one sample but to collect uh, several uh, fetuses because this is more um, that's a difficult one uh, pers because you can have for instance you can have 
a fetus that looks brown, mm -hmm. but that ends up to be negative because the, 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 the fact that the animal died is not due to the fact that the virus replicates in the animal, but because of the, the placenta that is positive. So it, it, you can have a damage in the placenta causing mortality in the, in the fetus. You get a brown one, but if you collect material from the brown one, you will not have the diagnosis. So it, the spurs is a, is a very difficult one. So that's why don't stick to one fetus, but uh, collect a few. Actually, uh, the, the, the most damage is done just outside the piglet. Yes, yes, yes. The placenta is the target. Yes. I see. If, if, if veterinarians trying to find a diagnosis and they're not quite sure what, what might have caused, is there, is there um, a general place where is there a one-size-fits-all solution, so to say? If they're... Yeah, well, yeah. So, so it's not a big problem. So that's why I always tell the, stu the, the students and also the vets, you know, look, look to the category where you, you where you're working in so if you have a, a par 1 pcv2 there is no late abortion early farrowing so you, you don't have to think on on purse at that moment it's it's at parturition sometimes a little bit later even not later uh, gestation that you can have over gestation they call it uh, that is in the direction of pcv2 and and, and par 1 and, and the mummies are really mummies mm -hmm. with different stages small ones getting bigger so this is already happening in, in the cell from a, an early stage and moving in between the fetuses. That is what you see. So th there's totally uh, no discussion on uh, looking for PERS on one side and the SMEDI PCV2 and, and, and PARVO on the other side. Of course, if you, you think about PCV2 and PARVO, that's a little bit more difficult, of course. So, you, you know, based on the, 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 the clinical signs, you will not make a clear uh, direction. And there, it, it's always interesting just to to think on both, which is not a big problem. If you uh, you know uh, if you say I will take the heart together with the spleen and thymus, I think you're already right. Yeah. Um, because for instance, PCV2 is present in the heart at high levels, mm -hmm. but is also present in other tissues. So it doesn't make that big difference if you just uh, you know if you make uh, you know mix up a little bit the tissues from uh, from the fetus with SMEDI viruses. I see. Um... If we look into PPV, uh, porcine powerful virus, um, no, there is PPV1, which is the most common type of mm -hmm. that. And that can, again, be subdivided into 1A, 1B, 1C, and 1D. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Um, yes. I understand also at the recent International Pig Veterinary Society Congress in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, um, one of your colleagues, uh, Nick Fereca, was awarded the best oral presentation because of that subdivision. What makes the difference, and why is it important to know this, the, these, these, these different subtypes? Yes, yes, yes. So um, genetics on itself, of course, doesn't mean anything. But genetics are related, of course, with uh, with the proteins, the capsids. So if you have changes genetically, this can change, of course, also the amino acids. And if you have changes in amino acids, uh, this can uh, change the tropism. So this can go into changes of the pathogenesis and this can also go in the in, in the direction of changes of clinical signs so i think this is important to understand uh, also uh, at the level of antigenicity you can have some changes however if you look to the, the whole list and if you look in detail on a, uh, on the protein level there are not uh, let's say huge changes there are a few amino acids changing that that's not changing the whole thing so it's not a black and white mm -hmm. so it, it it's very important to to do a surveillance and to follow up those changes because at a certain moment you could uh, can have really a, a big change so uh, we really have to and that's important for uh, for companies 
pharmaceutical companies that they really follow this virus in detail and have a look. And that's why genetic trees are on the one hand boring, but on the other side, they can be interesting. I see. I see. It almost sounds like a bit like, um, well, a little bit, little bit like history writing. As a, well, I'm a historian, and mm -hmm. it, it looks like if you're keeping track of what's happening on a microbiological level and what, what what is happening with the virus, that you kind of are prepared for whatever may come, even if the the, yes. the, the yes. clinical signs may not be drastic. That at least you know, hey, look, this virus is. Um, is, is, is reproducing yeah. and is, is changing in certain ways. So mm -hmm. whenever there is something really serious going on, you really you are on top of it straight away. Yes, yes. So for PERS, we know what this is already a thing that I say for a long time, what the, mm. what the virus is doing. It's just drilling its way into new subpopulations of macrophages. So this is so simple as, as well. So if you start to examine the virus and you look to the pathogenesis, you know this virus will continue in that direction. Mm -hmm. For, for uh, PCV2 and Parvo, their target is a lymphoblast. So mm -hmm. it's logical that this virus will try to find the easiest way to get in and to explode in, in the lymphoblast. And for parvo, parvo replication cycle, six to eight hours. So it, it's, it has already a very good marriage with the lymphoblast, a co-evolution. And it looks like that, it looks like with the recent strains that they are more, uh, you know, exploding in those cells and we should examine that. PCV2, for instance, is still looking for a, a real receptor. It takes 36 hours before the virus mm -hmm. has w finished one replication cycle. So a virus that is doing that, that's not very, you know, efficient virus. So this one is still, uh, I call it, uh, searching for a receptor. Uh, I don't know when it will find it, but uh, but this is still a, a, a handicap for the virus. Also, once the virus gets into one fetus, we have demonstrated that in the past for a PCV2, it's difficult to spread from one fetus to another, so it's a very slow virus. And that's a thing that we have to analyze and look in detail in the future if the thing is, is moving and will go in the direction like Parvo did, in the direction that it will uh, uh, you know, make it faster, its replication, and, and that will be, of, you know, will be positive for the virus, of course. I see, yeah. I see. Um, just in case uh, our listeners would hear a little bit of um, a background, uh, that is because my neighbor is um, is uh, doing some chores in the house, unfortunately. Um, I hope it's, it's not in your house that he's uh, drilling the thing down. No, uh, no, the owner of this house is uh, is uh, recording a podcast at the moment. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, when I was doing some studying, some preparation of this podcast, I came across the word 27A-like strains quite mm -hmm. a lot. Um, yes. Why is it important to remember exactly that name? Well, I think for me, that's not that important, but I think it's it's very important for uh, the vaccine producer bearing in line because they put this this strain, of course, in their, uh, in their vaccine and uh, uh, in the field, it's it's at this moment, this is the major uh, pathogen that is causing the, the problem. So from that point of view, uh, both the, the, the field work, the diagnostics, and then also the, the vaccine, that's why that, uh, that strain is uh, coming up and uh, that there's a lot of publicity ongoing. Of course, this is a, a, a moment at this moment. So if we go further, 10 years further, this will be again another strain deviating from the 27A. And then for us, it will be kind of, uh, you know, for us, interesting to follow and to see what the virus will do. So it's, it's um, you, you know, uh, a virus is always in evolution. What has been in the past is not now. And what is not now will not be in the future. So you, you will always be, 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 you have to be careful. So 
let's say at this moment, uh, BI has a, a, a match, let's say a, a nice match with the vaccine and the, the strain that is circulating. But this will change also in the future, because if you, you work with a vaccine, of course, for 10 years, then the situation will also be different. So uh, it's always, uh, like you say, a historical point of view uh, to, uh, let's say, what's in your vaccine and what is circulating. And that's, of course, a, a discussion. But that's, yeah. uh, it's, it's really well, one of the latest strains, so to say. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Iris, I would like to, um, to ask your assistance here. Are you still around? There yes. you are. Hello. Hi. Of course, I'm still around. I've been listening in the background and actually have some questions too. One of the questions I got is, so if the virus is mutating and new strains can occur all the time, what does that mean for vaccination protocols? Do vaccines uh, that were developed a long time ago still make sense to be used? Yes. So this is this is the whole discussion in the field. Uh, so uh, let's say uh, the the old vaccines, if you can call them so, uh, are still working. There is still an impact. Uh, of course, this, like I said, it's not a black and white situation. So it's kind of uh, uh, all all types uh, sh um, uh, shades of gray. You 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 really have um, a kind of uh, an impact now with the new one. That's a full fit. They call it homologous. Of course, if you have the uh, the, the old vaccine. That's a little bit further, but it's still working. So we did some uh, seroneutralization tests, hemagglutination inhibition tests, and we saw, still saw so reactivity. So it's not that the old strains uh, in the vaccines, that they don't do their job. They still do their job. But of course, it's a matter of, you know, uh, let's say, uh, I would call it between uh, uh, 95 and 100 percent. You understand me? So, so don't say, and that's, of course, uh, then the discussion in between the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, you know, uh, the one with the new strain will say the others don't work. And the others that have the old strains, they still they say they still work. So it is. I think I think they both have. Uh, they're both correct. Uh, it's a kind of a, you know, if you want to go to the full hit or not. That's uh, that's the discussion. Exactly. Thank you for clarifying that. Uh, another question I got is why does a vaccine based on twenty-seven alike strains work better? Uh, is it possible to explain to non-veterinarians what like what does ha Why does that happen? Yes, yes. So let's say the most important thing is that uh, on the, the, the outside of a virus, uh, there have been some changes. And we, we, the changes can have an impact on uh, the induction of some neutralizing antibodies. So it, it could be that with your, if you have your 27A uh, strain that is infecting a pig and you, you have the antibodies of a vaccine that has been uh, you know, uh, raised by a 27A, then you have a full match. So your whole outside of the virus will be covered with antibodies. And that means the virus will not be able anymore to infect a, a target cell. If you have, of course, the old strains, you have also a lot of viruses, a lot of antibodies binding to your virus, but, but not in a such efficient way like the, the ones that have been raised by the 27A. So you have a little bit less protection it is still there, but at a lower level. So it's it it is uh, less, uh, you know, influencing the, the 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 binding of the virus to the cell. So it is a it's if you would see it on the on the on the surface of the capsule, so you should 27A will be fully covered, whereas uh, with the antibodies of the the old vaccine, you will have a, a little bit less antibodies on the surface, but they are still both, uh, you know, let's say uh, blocking 
the the infection of 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 a um, of a target cell one better of course than the other so what we do in uh, in uh, with serology is that we make some dilutions of of the the serum of the pig and then you would see that with uh, with the the 27a vaccines you you can go further in dilutions and it will still work whereas if you have antibodies from an older vaccine type then you will see that you, you still have uh, protection but that you see that the blocking will stop earlier in your dilution uh, uh, series. So, so it's it is let's say it it, it is there your uh, blocking, but at a lower level. That's the only uh, thing that that makes the difference. Yeah, exactly. The one is uh, one is working a little bit better than the other one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 But for the pig, uh, the very important point is the farmer's view. Uh, it's not, you know, we, I'm not listening to uh, uh, kind of discussions between pharmaceutical uh, industries. What I like to know is, is the farmer happy? And the farmer is at this moment still happy, both with the old ones and new ones. But uh, there could be if a farmer has a few guilds mainly uh, that uh, are giving some problems that he can have uh, from time to time in the winter time, for instance, a few mummies. That he analyzes, that you get the power out of that. The, the farmer, the farmer will not, you know, exaggerate and say this is not possible. How is this possible? If this would be the case, then the the, the old vaccines would be would go out of the market, and they will not because most of the the farmers are still happy with their uh, old uh, vaccine strains. So I think uh, we should not be uh, we should not panic at this moment. That's my uh, my comment here. Exactly. Well, that's most important thing is happy farmers, right? Or a happy pig, that's the most. A happy pig, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you have one last question written down. Uh, does a similar problem with new strains emerging occur when thinking about person, uh, PCV2, or do different strains play less of a role here? Yes, so I, I, I told you already on PERS. So PERS, the, the, the main, uh, the, the important thing for a PERS strain is, does it infect uh, uh, macrophages in the placenta. This is the most important one. And, uh, you know, uh, starting from the 80s, 90s, uh, those strains were ending up in that cell type. So if you, you destroy the macrophage in the placenta, then you get reproductive failure. And, and all the strains from that moment on are infecting that type of macrophage. In the meantime, of course, they are, can also infect other macrophages, but they're not related with the placenta. So from, from the, the 80s, 90s, there, there we got the, the, the switch from uh, infecting uh, silazine-positive macrophages, and that was the start of reproductive failure. So there's not a lot of difference nowadays at the level of uh, reproductive failure. At the level of, let's say, general disease, this is increasing. So we see that, uh, let's say, you know, fever, respiratory problems, and so on, is increasing in time, but this has nothing to do with the macrophage in the placenta. Then we have PCV2. PCV2 is, uh, uh, and we have done some uh, uh, beautiful research, uh, will be published soon, uh, it's submitted, that we have seen that there are differences between strains. Uh, not well related with the genotype. So, you know, for PCV2, you have PCV2 A, B, D, E, F, and we will continue in the future, of course. Uh, and we have seen that uh, in the A's themselves, there are differences between strains and also in the B. So it looks like that there is uh, another determinant, and, and this is not uh, exceptional, but that another determinant is important for the replication power of the virus in the lymphoblast. And this is what we are trying to find out now, uh, because everybody thinks that changes in, 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 in genes 
So uh, different places in the genetic tree always have an impact. This is not this is not true. So we have to be very careful. And there are some even minor things. So it could be that the position, a, a single position uh, on the capsid is already sufficient to, to explain, for instance, a fast replication in lymphoblast, yes or no. And, and this could, could have nothing to do with the evolution on the A, B, and D. Because if you have one single uh, mutation, it will not change a lot in your, in, your, in your tree. So we see that PCV2 is, is changing. Uh, and there, are, of course, the, the important question is, how, how strong does it replicate in your lymphoblast? Because again, uh, we have seen that there are strain differences. If you don't replicate very well in lymphoblast, of course, you don't have a lot of power to go to the fetuses. If you replicate a lot in the lymphoblast, then you build up a, a, a strong pressure of a, a viral load, they call it, then the chances that you go to the, the fetus is, is higher. So the, for PCV2, th there are differences in strains, but it's not well related with the evolution from A, B, and D. So the, the reproductive failure doesn't follow that uh, logical uh, uh, genetic tree uh, stuff. So uh, not an easy one, PCV2, at this moment. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't sound like that. Um, thank you. That were my questions. Uh, and I think... Um... I, I know enough. Back to you, uh, Vincent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goes, uh, goes to show that it is important to keep track of all the developments that are going on underneath. So in case there is anything uh, happening in the field, then you can act straight away. Um, yes. I had one closing off question for Professor Nowink. Um, what would be your general recommendation to do to, to, to give an advice to, to breeders of sows uh, mm. who yeah. are th thinking or reconsidering uh, to have a, a good strategy to protect yeah. their breeding herd as well as possible. What would be your general recommendation for them to do? This could yes, be anything yes, yes. from vaccination to biosecurity yeah. measures, uh, you name it. So, so extremely important is, are the guilds. You know, if you get the guilds in, in your farm, normally they come from uh, out of the farm. Uh, so you bring them in, that's a very dangerous situation. So you really have to vaccinate those animals in a correct way. Uh, it's the best, for instance, for purrs having negative uh, animals because they are, if they're positive, they can already bring in a new strain, which you don't want, of course. So if you then, uh, I call it harmonize the, 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 the guilt. So you, you vaccinate the guilds against uh, purrs, then you have already kind of, you will not fully protect them against the, the, the local strain. But you will already have a kind of a basic uh, uh, immune response, which is which is uh, extremely important. Parvo, you should uh, vaccinate parvo without a problem in the gills. So we have already pars, we have uh, parvo, and for PCV2, most of the gills when they come into the the farm are already uh, serological positive. So they have already been experiencing uh, PCV2 in the past. So that's not that important. So for me, that's not uh, on on top of the list. But people make a lot of errors at the level of the guilds. And that's always uh, a point that I want to stress. Take care of your guilds and uh, harmonize everything. Make sure that those animals will not cause them the problems. Uh, because if you have, for instance, purrs and you have some guilds that are just causing uh, problems, then you get an explosion of, of virus in your environment. And then it can go to your other cells and uh, kind cause a kind of a disbalance. Eh? Uh, they call it an uh, unstable situation on the, on a farm, and that's not good, of course. So these are, let's say, the uh, the messages I, that I want to give to uh, to a farmer and uh, um, uh, a vet. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Just to keep and yes. keep a key, keen eye on for the introductory route and uh, well, yes, there yes. where the the virus could be introduced, be straight uh, alert or we'll make sure that 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 route is 
blocked off yes. for the viruses. Yes, 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 yes. Well, thank you very much, Professor Nowink. I really appreciated that you wanted to be with us today and that okay. we could talk about reproductive failure and the role of viruses in that. So I would like to thank you very much for being with us in this series. Okay, I want to thank you for uh, the nice interview. Uh, went well, I think. So uh, I hope so. Thanks for the, the the nice the nice questions. Thank you very uh, much. Thank you very much. Um, for that, um, and I would just close off to say that in the next episode of the Meaty Expert podcast series, we'll go back to a virus we touched on briefly in this podcast as well. There's more on PCV2, and then we shall talk to Dr. Joaquin Segales, uh, attached to the Cresa Irta in Catalonia, in Spain. And yeah, you can tell that that is one more podcast you do not wish to miss. For now, I thank you for listening. I thank to Professor Nowing for being with us. And I'll tell you goodbye. <laughs>